I know you have heard this before. Work smarter, not harder. Ford has heard it too. That's why the Ford F-150 truck helps you get the job done in the smartest way possible. I mean, the pro-access tailgate alone is a game changer. It improves access to the bed and cargo, which makes it easier to load in tight spaces. See? Smarter. It's also got a mobile power source and pro power on board, so you can power up to 7.2 kilowatts outside your F-150 truck. That is definitely working smarter. And imagine what you can do with that power at your next tailgate party. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll in the home of the exclusive Duff McKagan joke of the week. Chris Jericho, Duff McKagan calling. Uh, listen, man, uh, I, I hope you're doing well and everybody else is doing well. Listen, uh, my wife said I have, uh, she asked me a question. She said, you have no sense of direction, do you? And I asked, where'd that come from? Thank you very much. Goodbye. <laughs> Uh, on the fence on that one, but uh, thanks to Duff for always calling it in with such gusto uh, every single Friday. And now his wife, Susan Holmes McKagan, getting in on the action. Uh, she sent in last Friday's joke. Uh, she gave us a laugh. We thank her, too. Don't forget Guns N' Roses going back on tour in 2023. Tickets go on sale today for their massive world tour. Go to GunsNRoses.com and go uh, give a shout-out to Duff that you're a fan of his joke of the week. All right, today we're doing something a little different. The first for Talk is Jericho in almost 950 episodes. We're talking about poker. I got World Series of Poker champion and poker journalist on the show today, Chad Holloway. He is one of those coveted poker bracelets for winning the World Series of Poker Championship, uh, one of the levels. And if you don't know what a poker bracelet is, Chad is going to educate you. He's given a little history of the game's popularity and evolution, including the rise and fall of online poker. He's got stories about some of his most popular characters, like the godfather of poker, Doyle Brunson, the poker brat Phil Helmuth and Daniel Negranu, who is supposed to be maybe the Gretzky of poker. He explains the different variations of poker, how he started playing and how he started covering the game for PokerNews.com. And he's got some tips and tricks for any beginners out there just like me. It's the anatomy of a poker player with Chad Holloway right here, right now on Talk is Jericho. All right, so um, I'm here with uh, with Chad Holloway, poker player extraordinaire, amongst uh, many other things. And co- did you contact me on Twitter? Is that how this started? It, it actually was. I tweeted that I had just finished reading your third book. Right. I really enjoyed the books because I see a lot of parallels between the wrestling business, sports entertainment, and the poker industry in which I work and play. Uh, and then you tweeted back, that's pretty interesting. Let's talk about it. And, and here we are. Here we are. Yeah. No. So, so just as we get into this, it's funny. I was just at the hard rock casino in Tampa last night and watching some of the poker. I was like, I got to talk to Chad and but rather than trying to learn beforehand, I'm coming into this basically as completely as a, as a novice. So, you know, you can kind of explain the whole concept and idea of, of poker. And plus I also want to talk about your analogy of the, the differences between poker and wrestling. But first of all, your accolades as a poker player, you've won a few championships and, and, and they're called bracelets. I know that from poker. So kind of explain World Series of Poker and the whole concept of, of big time poker. It's huge. You can win millions of dollars doing this. Yeah, it's true. So the World Series of Poker bracelet, I have one of those. I've won some other tournaments, but the bracelet is the equivalent uh, of a world championship belt, maybe, or a Super Bowl <laughs> ring. In our industry, it's what everybody wants to win. Uh, every year they give out, out around 100 of them, give or take, and you have 
hundreds of thousands of people competing for them. So uh, it takes a lot. You got to have a lot of skill, a lot of luck to get there. And uh, I was fortunate enough to win one in 2013. It uh, changed my life because only not only as a player, but I was working in the industry as well. And so I went from just being this kind of poker journalist to the poker journalist who won a World Series of Poker Bracelet. So let's talk about that because, you know, this is a world that I don't know anything about. I know you host a podcast about poker. You mentioned about being a poker journalist. So how massive is pro poker? Because you see it sometimes on TV. Kind of tell us a little about this world and how popular is it? And how did you start getting into it? Because there's a lot of pressure with this. Poker's been around for almost 200 years, but it wasn't until about 1970 where it kind of got legitimized, if you will, with the World Series of Poker uh, that came to Las Vegas, which is where I'm based. It had a good run until about 2003 when it exploded. A guy named Chris Moneymaker, that's his real last name, ended up, uh, he was a Tennessee accountant, amateur poker player, came in won the tournament for $2.5 million. It was broadcast on TV. And that, along with some other circumstances, televised poker, the advent of the whole card cam. And then I believe around that time, there might have been a hockey strike. Yeah, yeah. ESPN needed to fill that airtime. So they ordered more poker. That combination combined sparked what we called the poker boom. And from 2003 to about 2006 or seven, you've seen an exponential growth of the game. I mean, that's when you really saw it on TV. You've seen celebrity poker games. You've seen commercials. Poker pros became instant celebrities and, and such. Uh, and poker's remained relatively strong since then. The numbers did kind of come back down to earth, if you will. But we actually just had a little bit of a boom because of the pandemic. When everybody was stuck inside, a lot of people turned to playing poker online to, to right. feed that competitiveness, to have some socialization. And so uh, well, the world was shut down, the online poker space, at least, boomed quite a bit. And uh, now, yeah, there's poker tournaments all around the world. I got involved working for a company called Poker News, which is one of the largest poker media outlets back in 2010. And it really changed my life. I've been all over the world, all over the country to poker tournaments in Australia, China, South America, Europe. We have a team, as we're speaking, in Paris covering a big event. Uh, and so we're just like any sports, they would send a crew to cover these games. That's what Poker News does, and I'm, I'm part of that. How did you get into poker in the first place? I remember playing it like in high school. You get with, together with your friends and you know play a little bit there, you know, the Friday night poker games. Is that kind of how it started for you? Yeah, for sure. I started playing with friends. I grew up in a small town in Wisconsin, about 500 people. And as kids, we used to play for you know baseball cards or quarters and things like that. Yeah. And I just loved the game, took to it, and kept growing with it. So when I turned 21, finally got to go play in some casinos and never really stopped playing. And it didn't always look like it was going to work out because it is very competitive. It is very hard. The game's always changing. But I managed to find a niche where not only do I get to play, but I make a living through the game, through the media aspect of things. So it's been pretty good. You know, when you're talking about these worldwide poker tournaments and you mentioned all the different countries and I was just kind of glancing at, you know, who won the the, the World Series of Poker this year, it looked like there was like a $10 million prize for the guy who won. It looks like he was from Sweden or, or Norway or something along those lines. But what is kind of like, if you want to talk about the, the niche of poker, now obviously people go and they play blackjack. That's an easy game to play. Uh, poker is a lot more strategy. Although blackjack has strategy, but poker is so much more evolved. So kind of talk about, you know, how, how do you play poker? Like talk about that side of things. Yeah, I actually listened to an episode you did late last year with Molly Bloom, who I think said it best, where poker is different. It's a game of skill. Uh, well, there is skill to blackjack and some other table games. It's very different than slot machines, right, where you put in your money and you hit a button and you don't know what's going to happen. But in poker, you're not playing against the house. You're just playing against the other players. So if you know the game better, if you know the odds and the math better, you should have an edge. Now, there is luck involved, but in the long run, that uh, skill should prevail when it comes to poker. And that's why we do see some of the biggest names make a career for decades now. Doyle Brunson, I think, is going to be 90 years old, and he's been playing for 75 of those years and being at the top of the game. And uh, Phil Helmuth is a 16-time World Series of Poker bracelet winner, the all-time leader. So there are guys who have dedicated their life to poker who do great things, but then you also have the element of luck because that does come into play. So there's an old saying in poker that 
in any given hand or any given session, poker can be 90% luck and 10% skill. Mm. Just because you get it in with the best hand doesn't mean you're going to win. But if you extrapolate that over a lifetime with enough volume, the math should work out so that it kind of flips and poker becomes a game that's 90% skill and 10% luck. So enough volume and time, you can overcome the luck factor, as we say. But uh, like football, any given Sunday and any given poker game, anybody can win. That's what's great about it. And so how do you, obviously, it's a card game. And then you mentioned the luck, the luck of the draw, of what kind of cards you get in your hand. But how, how do you learn to, you mentioned, change it from 90% luck to 90% skill when you are dealt, you know, five random cards every single time? It's knowing what cards to, that you want to play in what positions, the table dynamics, right? So if you're playing a tournament, it's very different than if you're playing in a cash game. A cash game might be we all sit down with 500 bucks, we play hands, and we can quit anytime. When you play a tournament, you put up a buy-in, and then you get some chips. Those chips don't necessarily equate to a dollar amount. And you don't quit at any time. You play a tournament until there's just one winner. Mm. So there's you got to understand the game, the nuances, and then understand what's happening within that game, right? So if I know that you have lost two big hands, you got unlucky, I'm going to assume that inside you're filled with a little bit of rage. You've got emotions going on. You might not be playing to the best of your ability. So maybe I'm going to want to mix it up with you a little bit more. Mm. You know, if I have good cards, I want to tell a story. Everything you do at a poker table tells a story. So if I'm raising, I'm indicating that I have strength. I might, I might not because I could be bluffing, but it indicates that's their strength. And so not only do you have to be aware of what story you're trying to tell, you have to be aware of what your opponent is perceiving. And it's a game of a lot of thinking, a lot of mental acrobatics, if you will, and a lot of different levels. And the more experience you have, the more hands that you play over the course of a lifetime, it just gives you an edge. I'm sure I'm a lot like a, you know, a rookie and veteran in any sport or in the wrestling ring. When you first start out, you've got a lot to learn. Mm-hmm. As you get the reps in, then it just becomes almost second nature with that experience. And that's what the best poker players in the world have. So what is kind of the game of choice when you're playing poker? Because I know there's, you know, five card stud and Texas Hold'em and all those different types. So what's the difference between like kind of go over the, the different variants sure. of, of poker? Variance is, the, yeah, that's the variance is exactly the word we use. So no limit Texas Hold'em is the biggest game in the world. That's what you usually see almost always played on TV. That's what's played in the major poker tournaments on like the World Poker Tour and in the World Series of Poker main event. In the poker world, I'd say it's like 90% or more no limit Texas Hold'em. By far the most popular game. Okay. But there are other variants, like you said, seven card stud, five card stud, pot limit Omaha, which is played with four cards instead of the two whole cards that you see in Hold'em. Uh, there's really hundreds of different variants. Some people make up their own games and their own rules. And uh, that's what's great about poker is it's, it's ever changing. The strategies, the skills, it's an ever evolving game and it's... Uh, you know, you got to keep up with it if you want to succeed. So what are some of the strategies? Like, for example, like what's the difference in a strategy that you might have in five card stud that you don't use in Texas Hold'em? Like, what's the difference in, in kind of the rules, I guess? It varies. For the most part, all poker games are rooted in this hierarchy of hands, right? Uh, you got a pair, two pair, three of a kind, straight, flush, full house, four of a kind, straight, flush and royal flush. Those are kind of the hands that you're trying to make in almost any variant of poker. And it just is a game of information. That's what poker is. And some games give you more information to work with than others. So for instance, No Limit Texas Hold'em, if you're playing with nine people, all those nine players, including yourself, will receive two cards face down. This is information that is unknown. You don't know what your opponent's whole cards are. The only two cards you know are yours. However, there'll be eventually five community cards that come out on the board. So that's just, you take all this information street by street, combined with the betting that happens, the action, as we say, all that tells a story. And as a poker player, it's your goal to decipher what's going on and try to find a way to win or cut your losses, fold, and just try to move on to the next hand, right? You can't win every hand of poker. So it's a game of well-timed patience and acting on information. Now, the strategy comes in is 
how do you want to act? Some players choose to be super aggressive. They put you to the test. They're not afraid to fire in money. Other players like to play uh, more tight and passive. They wait and are patient. They wait for good cards before they make any move. And it just boils down to the type of player, the type of personality that they have. And, you know, I've been playing poker a long time. I've been reporting on it for a long time. And I've seen every sort of person in the world playing poker from a hundred year old grandmas and grandpas to online kids who are just turning 18 and and are walking into casinos for the very first time and from people in every walk of life. I know there's a guy that you're very familiar with and and he was my favorite wrestler as a kid. And that's a true story. My online poker handle is Disco Chad, by the way, (laughs) based on Disco Inferno. (laughs) Poor guy. (laughs) (laughs) But he he plays poker. I've actually run into him at the World Series of Poker and stuff too. So really everybody can play poker and it's just a matter of what strategy you are most comfortable with and and want to try to execute at the poker table. All right. There are some seriously talented luchadors in AEW and not all of them speak English, which can make putting together matches a little challenging sometimes. That's why I signed up for Rosetta Stone. I'm learning Spanish, amigos. Amigas. See, already learning. Haha. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. You don't even have to learn Spanish, though, because Rosetta Stone has 25 languages, including French, German, Korean, Arabic, and Polish, and Japanese. That's what I'm going to do next. I spent a lot of time in Japan, and I still work with a lot of Japanese wrestlers at AEW, like Takeshita. So having a better handle on the language will definitely show in the ring. Communication is key. And learning Spanish on Rosetta Stone has been so fun and easy. They've got this true accent feature that gives you feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. Sort of like having a personal trainer for your accent. I'm using the app, but you can also do the lessons on desktop or laptop. I also like that I can download the lessons and do them offline, which is perfect for a plane. I can sit there on a flight and work on my Espanol. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Talk is Jericho listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash Jericho. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash Jericho today. That's rosettastone.com slash Jericho. Do it today. It's interesting to me as we're starting to talk, like, you know, like you mentioned, if you're playing blackjack or whatever, you're playing against the house, whereas poker, you're playing against other guys. So there's a lot of strategy involved and almost like a lot of psych out strategy you might use. Is that something that's very important? You know, we talk about the proverbial poker face. You mentioned some guys are a little bit more aggressive in the way they play. Kind of talk about about that side of things, about how important that is to be able to play it cool, or if you get to know your opponent, oh, he always he's a hothead. Like, how much does that factor in? It's a huge factor, really. Poker is a zero sum game, which means if you and I are playing and you win fifty dollars, that means I lost fifty dollars, right? It has to always somebody's got to win, somebody's got to lose. The point is to win. That's why we play, and so you want to do whatever you can to increase your edge, as we would call it. So learning how to read people, picking up on their facial tics or their habits, their betting patterns, Mm. but while doing uh, the opposite, you got to disguise your own. If you've got a good hand and you start tapping your foot, somebody is going to pick up on that sort of thing because there's a reason that you must be tapping your foot. You're excited about your hand. makes it easier to fold. So it's very important to have a good poker face. I've been around, like, I feel like I've got a good poker face, but I also have watched the best in the world from a front row seat, you know, getting to report on it. And it's unbelievable. They're stone cold killers when it comes to that. And (laughs) yeah, it's definitely a big part of it. Bluffing is a big part of the game. You don't necessarily need the best hand to win in poker. If you can just convince your opponent that they're beat, even if they're not, and they fold, Hmm. then you win that money. Uh, And so there's a lot of people who that's what they love best about the game. There's other people who aren't comfortable bluffing. So they just wait for good cards and try to win that way. But the best players in the world find a way to do both. It's funny because I remember, I, I don't know the exact names, but I'm just kind of scrolling through. I see Chris Moneymaker here. I see Annette Obrestad. Some of the people, uh, Chip Reese, they're on here wearing sunglasses and that sort of a thing. So you're allowed to have sunglasses on when you're playing poker? 
Yeah, you you can wear uh, sunglasses, you can wear hats, you can you just can't wear like full masks, uh, you know, outside of COVID, we, we were required to wear masks for a while there. But you can wear, you know, whatever you want to kind of sell your poker face. Some people just don't have the confidence that their eyes won't give away information, right? That they're staring too hard. Uh, they're staring too long. They're looking back and forth. Wearing sunglasses, a lot of people feel more comfortable doing that. And so it's pretty common. I've worn sunglasses at the table. I don't usually much anymore. And you don't really see the biggest pros in the world wearing sunglasses anymore, but a lot of recreational players or kind of a lot of mid-stakes players still do. When you're talking about bluffing and, and you know, obviously this is to try and fool your opponent into thinking you have a better hand than, than you do. When you play, like, how do you bluff? Is it by just putting more money out or what, what are some of the examples of what you can do to really try and let's say you're playing against me. Uh, how do you try and psych me out with a bluff? Right. So I'd take the information to find the right opportunity to bluff. So let's say there are three hearts on board. So a flush, a flush is five of the same suit, right? You have clubs, spades, diamonds, and hearts. So let's say that there are three hearts out there and I have just the ace of hearts with the queen of clubs in my hand, right? I have the, the draw to what we call the nuts, the best possible hand. If another heart comes, I'd have a five card flush with the ace of hearts. And let's say I'm betting this and you're coming along and you're calling, but the way you're calling, you're kind of hesitant. You don't seem very excited. You seem weak. That's how I'm perceiving. That's the information I'm picking up on. Well, let's say the next two cards come and I miss. I don't end up with anything. I miss my flush draw. I have ace high technically, but you don't know that. And having the ace of hearts gives me a great opportunity to bluff, right? Because if I put the pressure on you, you seem weak. I put in a lot of money representing that I have the ace and maybe another heart because I really do have the ace makes it easier for me to to settle that story if you will because I know you don't have the ace mm -hmm. so you have to give me credit for it so that might be a spot where because I have this card that gives me a good opportunity to bluff because I perceive you being weak you were hesitant it doesn't seem like you're super happy with your hand I might just move all in and put you to the test like do you really want to call off your entire stack with your hand if you're weak it's a tough spot. And that's where poker players, when we say put you to the test, uh, you can be in a pressure cooker. Well, you know, what do you do? Are you willing to call off a thousand dollars with one pair when your opponent has been showing strength or is he just bluffing? And mm -hmm. that's what's so great about the game. Every hand is a new puzzle, is a new situation that you're put in. And I think that's why a lot of people like it, especially because poker can be played by anybody of any age, race, nationality, anything. A lot of people, especially as they get older, they look for outlets where they can continue to compete. They can scratch that competitive itch. And I think poker is one of the best ways for them to do that. And I think that's the reason why the game has, they say it's like as American as apple pie, if you will. Like it's been around for so long. You can, you can still win a hand if you only have a pair. I mean, you could win a hand with ace high if your opponent only has king high. And that can happen sometimes, right? Exactly. And that's the other, that's the, a number one skill too. If somebody's just starting out in poker, one of the first skills you're going to want to learn is based upon the cards that are out there, the information that you know, what's the best possible hand somebody could have, right? So for instance, if a board is, and by board, I mean the five community cards and no limit Texas hold them, there'll be five cards that all players share. So between the five cards that are up and the two in your hand, you have seven cards and the goal is to make the best five card hand between the, any combination of those seven cards. Right. So if on the board, there's a pair. So let's say there's a pair of fives on the board. A paired board means that all of a sudden some hands are possible that wouldn't be possible on an unpaired board. Right. So if you're going to have four of a kind, two fives on the board, two fives in your hand. All right. Four of a kind is possible. It also means a full house is possible because a full house being uh, three of one card and two of another. So, mm -hmm. you know, three kings and two fives is kings full of fives. So just recognizing what's possible so you can play your hand accordingly, right? Because if the board reads five, five, king, king, deuce, and it has three hearts on there, and I let's say I have a flush. A flush is a decent hand, but when a five, five, king, king are out there, all it takes is my opponent to have a five or a king, they'd have a full house and they would easily beat me. So that would be a, a spot where you take the information, you take the possibilities, and you act accordingly. You probably play a little more conservatively 
because the risk of them having a better hand in that circumstance is pretty high. Whereas the flip is true. When you have the best hand, you want to try to build a pot. You want to try when you know you have the best hand, you know, if you have the best possible hand, you want to try to build a pot. And doing that is an art in itself, right? Because let's say you and I are playing for $1, $2 blinds, and we each have $500. I have the best hand. I want to try to get all your $500. Well, if there's only $10 in the pot, and I move all in for $500, that's going to make it pretty easy for you to fold, mm-hmm. right? There's the risk reward there is not proportional. So there's an art to learning about how much to bet and when, uh, usually in relation to the size of the pot. The old saying goes, it, it takes a minute to learn, but a lifetime to master. Sure. Yeah, that's kind of true because it is a very simple game at first. I could teach anybody how to play a hand of poker in mere minutes, but then to pick up on all the nuances and get that experience and, and all the intricacies of the game, that's what really takes time. And the best hand you could have is the Royal Flush? It is. And it's very rare. I think I've probably, you know, I've been playing cards for 30 years and I've had a Royal Flush three or four times, maybe. Wow. It's pretty rare. So so let's say you did get a Royal Flush and let's say the pot is, I don't know, $5,000. How do you try and goad your opponent to putting in as much money possible? Now, you know, you can't be beat. Like you, like you said, you could put in your 500 bucks right now or 5,000 bucks and everyone's going to run away going, oh, this guy must have a great hand. But let's say you have a, a you can't be beat. How do you try and get your, your opponents to put in the most possible money knowing that you're going to win no matter what? See, this is a work knowing your opponent will come in handy, right? Is this the type of guy who likes to bluff and play aggressive? Because if it is, then you just give him some rope and let him hang himself. <laughs> you let him do the betting and then you check raise him. Or is this a player who is almost never going to bet? So you've got to do the betting and then you got to decide, well, how much is this person going to be willing to pay off? It's 5,000 in the pot. If I bet 5,000 more. Is it possible he's going to call? Do I want to take that risk of him folding and not winning anymore? Or do I want to just bet a thousand, which he's likely to call? And at least then I get some value out of my good hand. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just knowing your opponent and what you think they would do and and then trying to act accordingly. You know, if you shoot for the moon every time by going all in or betting too big, your opponents uh, can get off the hook easier. What if you show up in Vegas and we're just in the poker room and you've never met me before in my life? Like you said, know your opponent. What if there's no way to know your opponent? Is it just by judging how he plays the cards or just got to use your own skills? Yeah, I think it's a lot will have to do with the size of the pot, right? So for a general rule, if it was strangers, I would say betting the size of the pot is always a good rule of thumb, right? So if there's $5,000 in there, maybe I put $5,000 in. Because it's not an overbet or anything like that. It's right at the size of the pot. Right. And there's things called pot odds, which are a little more advanced for, for poker players and things like that. But for the most part, I'd say I'd aim for the size of the pot. If it's somebody I feel, you know, they have a lot of money in front of them and they've shown that they're willing to gamble a bit more, they're a little more loose with their money, maybe I bet more. Maybe I go all in and, and hope that they pay me off. On the flip side, if it's, you know, somebody with, a short stack or somebody who's a little tighter, maybe I bet a little less hoping, you know, I know it's hard to get money out of this person. So I'm just going to bet a little bit to entice them. It's going to be hard for them to fold for that amount of money. And, you know, I want to extract as much value out of my good hands as I can. And out of the bad losing hands, I want to minimize my losses. And that's kind of the the art of poker is finding that balance. It's easier said than done. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Is, is your biggest win the the gold bracelet from the World Series of Poker? Yeah, the World Series of Poker, it was a $500 buy-in event that I played. And I had 898 players in that tournament. I finished as the winner uh, for $85,000. Which Nice. Yeah, which was which was great. And then, you know, changed my career. Now, there's literally, as we're recording this uh, down the street in Vegas here, a million-dollar cash game going on where everybody in the cash game has bought in for a million dollars. Oh my gosh. After we're done with uh, with this, I'm going to go watch that. I'm excited about that. So poker is 
you can go, you can play for one penny, two penny online. You can go to your local casino and play usually for $1, $2, or you can work your way up and play. <laughs> I played a tournament one time. This is the biggest tournament I ever played. It cost $25,000 to enter. That was the entry fee to get into the tournament. Uh, it was uh, one of the biggest in the entire poker industry. Unfortunately, I didn't do anything in that one. Didn't win, didn't make the money, uh, but it uh, it was fun. It was a good experience. So, so the guys that are putting in a million dollars, are these high rollers or are they just great poker players, like some of the famous poker players? Or Yeah, it's a mix, actually. So it's some of the best and biggest names in the poker world, like a Daniel Negreanu and, and these sort of guys. But it gets mixed in with uh, some other businessmen. We've had a lot of people come in uh, from outside sources, kind of like Molly Bloom explained in hers. You know, there's these guys who are titans of the industry in the business world, but they want this competitive or social outlet. And poker seems to be a, a good outlet for them. And uh, so we get a little, a lot of businessmen from both uh, across the country and across the world who often fly into these things. So tell us about about your big win. How did you win the, that gold bracelet? Do you remember like kind of the last few hands? It was pretty wild because... It was a two-day tournament. We'd been playing for about 13, 14 hours each day, really long, exhausting. Uh, and it was down to just me and one other guy at the final table uh, at the Rio All Suite Hotel and Casino here in Vegas. I had friends on the rail, you know, from that I worked with and, and whatnot. On the rail, meaning they're watching you? Yeah, they're surrounding the table and the stage and watching the action. I had about two to one chip lead over my opponent. So I was up two to one in chips on him. And I ended up in a hand where I flopped one pair and an open-ended straight draw, which is pretty strong. Mm. And he bet I raise. And it was, we, we get all the money in. And it turns out that I have six, five on a board that read four, six, seven, right? So I had a pair of sixes with, with an open-ended straight draw. And my opponent had a king seven. So he had a pair of sevens. He was technically in the lead. But the turn card came a five. So I made two pair. I had sixes and fives. I'm one card away from winning this tournament. And the river comes a four. And my rail starts celebrating. They come, they rush the stage. They think I've won the tournament, but I knew better. I have sixes and fives. That four paired the board. So now my opponent has sevens and four. His sevens and fours is just a little bit higher than sixes and five, right? It's for two pairs. Right. So... They have to get off the stage. My opponent just doubles up. He now holds a two to one chip lead. And I think that I'm going to, you know, I'm going to lose this tournament. I was one card away from winning a World Series of Poker bracelet is what it's going through my mind. But then I said, like, do you want to be the guy saying to your friends for the rest of your life? I was one card away from winning a World Series of Poker bracelet. And I said, absolutely not. You know, so you need to get your, your, your act together and go win this tournament. And I was fortunate enough to, you know, another couple hours, I, put my nose to the grindstone and worked it back up, got even in chips. Uh, and then I ended up, my winning hand was queen nine. Uh, he had ace king and the flop came, uh, I think it was queen, queen eight or something like that. So I had three of a kind and we got all the chips in and he did not get there and I won. And it was a life-changing moment, you know, for, sure. like I said, it's the equivalent of winning a world championship or winning a Super Bowl ring in our industry. There's no higher honor. And, uh, you know, it was great. So when you win, you win by getting all the chips. It's almost like Monopoly. You have to get all all the money. That's the only way to win, the only way to lose. Exactly. For a tournament, in a poker tournament, right? Yeah, yeah. And a poker tournament is designed that the price of poker continually goes up, right? So every half hour, they raise the blinds, as they call it. So we might start out playing with the blinds at 25.50, but then the next level, it goes to 50, 100, then 100, 200 maybe 200, 400. It's just constantly raising. So it forces players to play, to have action, to keep their head above water, if you will. And eventually through natural progression of a tournament, it will boil down to only being one winner. And uh, that's what we all play for. Like the glory that comes with that, that feeling, we all chase it. So how long does the game last? It varies on the tournament, right? So some tournaments like we call them dailies, the casinos around Vegas or uh, wherever somebody might live might have a daily where you put up $50 and the tournament will last three or four hours. Hmm. Or you have a tournament like the World Series of Poker main event. The biggest poker tournament in our industry happens once a year. That's a 10 day long tournament. They play about 12 hours every day over the course of 10 days. One game can take 12 hours. 
like one day of the game could take 12 hours, right? Oh, wow. So you, you, you leave, punch out the clock, come back the next day. Wow. Yeah, exactly. That, and that's what the biggest tournaments in the world are like. The World Series of Poker is 10 days. A lot of World Poker Tour events that take place around the world are four or five day events. So your goal is to, you know, survive each day. So keep your head above water as these blinds go up and ideally finish in the money which is usually the top 10 to 15% of the field. So so if a poker tournament got 1,000 players, the top 100 or 150 players would make the money, mm. as we call it. And then the payouts escalate the higher up you finish, with obviously first place being the biggest amount of money. So you all start out at the same time, and everybody's playing kind of essentially against each other? Yeah, you all start out in an even playing field, right? So like the World Series of Poker main event is everybody buys in for $10,000. Everybody starts with 60000 in their starting chips, and you just start playing. And eventually, over the course of 10 days, wow, the field dwindles, and yeah, it's quite the experience. That's crazy. How is it for you when you're playing a game and something's going on, and then you got to take a break and go to dinner and go to bed like are you still thinking strategy overnight or is it kind of like you just got to leave it there and worry about it the next day yeah like the big ones the big tournaments when you bag as we say a bag is putting your chips in a bag to keep them secure until overnight until you come back when you bag a tournament it's hard not to think about it right because you're doing that means you're doing well you're getting close and the deeper you go in a tournament the more money's at risk the more is on your mind right like it's hard to sleep for these guys who make the World Series of Poker main event final table and are literally playing for millions of dollars. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Let's talk a little bit about why you reached out to me in the first place. You mentioned reading my third book and, and how there was a lot of similarities, in your opinion, between poker and wrestling. How did, how did you mean? What was your point on that? Yeah, yeah. so I actually, rec- recommendation of a friend started out with uh, Alliance Tale. And then Undisputed, and then The Best in the World. So I read all three. Uh, you know, and I had been a big fan of yours ever since. Uh, as a kid, I used to watch WCW back in the day and have kept up with your career since then. And so I really enjoyed the aspect of reading your story and the correlations I've seen between the poker world, right? So the come up, putting in your dues in the industries that you have to do in, in wrestling and also in poker, you know, getting the lessons that you learn from people who are more experienced and who have been around the industry longer, the travel aspect of it. Uh, I know the wrestling world goes to different venues and cities throughout the country, throughout the world. Poker is the exact same way. There's different tours. There's different regional events where if you want to stay ahead of the curve, if you want to chase the money, the glory that comes with poker, you have to be willing to go on the road and live on the road a little bit. So seeing a lot of similarities there, Uh, just personalities and characters in poker, especially in the older days, there was just, these legendary characters that have been around the game, you know, people who are smoking, drinking, are in saloons, (laughs) that sort of thing. And so just the character aspect of it, I think the lifestyles, based upon what I read in your book, (laughs) you know, there's a lot of partying, there's a lot of drinking, when there's a lot of money involved in poker, somebody wins, you know, a million dollars, they're going to go out to the club, they're going to throw a big shindig. And so just surviving the lifestyle aspect of it, I think is is a big thing. The longevity and standing the test of time. I know in poker, players come and go. They go broke. They run out of money. They can't continue to keep playing. But those who are really good, the legends of our game, to me, are like the legends in the wrestling business who have stood the test of time, to who go the distance. And I think a key to that, what I took one big takeaway from your book and what you were able to do in your career that I, I think is very applicable to poker players in my industry is this need or this uh, ability to reinvent oneself, to change things up. Because in poker, the game is ever evolving. Poker players need to evolve with it. They need to be willing to reinvent themselves, to change, to study the game, to grow as the game grows. Otherwise, they fall by the wayside. And a lot of poker players have fallen by the wayside. Some of the biggest names that fans might know 
who were on poker TV back in 2005, six, seven, who they've seen win millions of dollars, the game passed them by because they were unwilling to reinvent themselves to grow with the game. And the game just became more advanced and they were no longer able to, to compete. And so just the, the way through your career that you did, you'd take time to reflect, you'd come back, you'd reinvent yourself and you continued to thrive in, in your industry. I just see that needs to be done more in the poker industry. It's something I strive to do as kind of a poker media personality, if you will. And hmm. those were kind of the, the bigger takeaways for me, if you will. And then just the, as somebody who does poker media, part of my job is to tell stories. I like the aspect in the wrestling business of you have to tell stories there. And so that overlap, I feel like I've been able to pick up on some tips and tricks, if you will, and bring them over to to the poker world. Well, you said a lot of interesting things there uh, that I want to get into. But what one of the things you said that the game passed them by. How does the game pass you by? How do you become... Like you mentioned in wrestling, or for me, you you want to update your gimmick and update your catchphrase and maybe change this move or change that move. But for poker, it's the same. It's the game is the game. The rules are the rules. The cards are the cards. How does the game pass an expert by? So with the rise of technology has come really an evolution of our game, not unlike chess. Chess is a chess board and you could say the game is the game, but there became a point where artificial intelligence or technology computers started beating humans. And the same thing kind of happened in, in poker where the game, because it's a game of incomplete information, unlike chess, which is you can see everything. In, po or in chess, you can see all the information. It's right in front of you. You can act accordingly. In poker, there's incomplete information. I don't know what your whole cards are. Mm. There, there's that difference, which makes poker a little harder to solve. But through technology, today's players have been able to study in a different way than older poker players, even myself 10, 15, 20 years ago, because they are using computer programs, uh, what we kind of call solvers, to run different scenarios to better pinpoint, you know, how much to bet, when to bet, things like that. It's just, it's become more complex. And those players who haven't adapted to that new reality, all of a sudden they went from being the best in the game to being surpassed by those who were putting in the work. So who are like the greats of poker? You're talking about Gretzky and hockey or, you know, Jordan and basketball, like kind of go through some of the all-star heroes of all time. Doyle Brunson is, we call him the godfather of poker because he has been around for so long, just legendary within our industry. Uh, Phil Helmuth is one of the most popular poker players in the world. He is the most decorated when it comes to World Series of Poker, he's won 16 bracelets. Wow. And the next closest is 10 bracelets. So he's got a six bracelet lead over his next uh, closest competition. So he's definitely up there. And then Daniel Negreanu, who is Canadian and actually a huge hockey fan. We call him Kid Poker. He's one of the most popular and most decorated and most respected. He's actually an old school player now, but he did what uh, we just talked about. He reinvented himself. He's seen the game was passing him by. And so he dove headfirst into the new world of poker, if you will. He started learning game theory and, and how to use this new technology and reinvented himself. And now he's back to his winning ways. And I think those three, if there was a Mount Rushmore of poker, those three would be on. Uh, let me just talk a little bit more in depth here. I'm just kind of looking through some of the guys' names that you mentioned. When you're talking about uh, Phil Helmuth, I've actually heard heard his name before. So he um, says he's won about $24 million <laughs> via live tournaments. I mean, that's a heavy hitter. Also referred to as the poker brat for his abrasive personality. So what does that mean? When I, we talked a little bit about characters. Yeah. The poker brat is his, uh, his I don't know if it's say it's a, character it's his persona and we say it because he throws temper tantrums when he like loses a big pot that he feels he should have won he's been known to you know just have some antics be a little bratty be a little childish if you will uh some people find it kind of charming or entertaining other people really hate it and think it's disrespectful he's a kind of a very polarizing figure in the poker world personally i like him he's kind of like a heel mm -hmm. yeah. if you will you know to put it in wrestling terms so but probably once you have that reputation too people are mad at him because he probably wins a lot as well so that gives it's like floyd mayweather he, he told me once like you know people pay to see me get beat 
and I'll never get beat. So that's why people don't like me. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. And you know, I'm looking, I just wanted to pull it up to give uh, you and the listeners an idea. So um, we have records in the poker world and we, ha- we have the, what we call the all-time poker money list, uh, according to a website called The Hendon Mob. It's a list we pay pretty close attention to. So Daniel Negreanu sits in third place. He's won over $50 million playing tournament poker in wow. his lifetime. Sitting in second place, another guy with $57 million, Bryn Kenny. And then right now, the current leader on top with uh, the first player in poker history to ever crack $60 million is one Justin Bonimo. So oh, man. he's uh, in his best ever live cash. I think he won $10 million in, in one swoop. Those are the heavy hitters of the uh, the industry for sure. So when these guys come into a room, is it like rock star status? Like, do they have that type of vibe? Like, you know, once again, it's like Chris Jericho can walk in a casino and no one knows who the hell I am. You know, walk into a wrestling room and everyone's freaking out. Is it kind of the same with these guys when they walk into a casino? Yeah, it definitely is. Like during the World Series of Poker, uh, that Phil Helmuth, Daniel Negreanu, they get swamped by fans, other poker players who want you know autographs or to take pictures. They're they're the celebrities within the poker world. Some of them, like Phil Helmuth, he's done like some mainstream commercials, had some mainstream stuff. Uh, Negreanu has had some like movie cameos, so they've kind of permeated the mainstream a little bit more. But uh, definitely in the poker world, they're the kind of rock stars, if you will. What about from a female standpoint, just kind of scrolling through, I went to, uh, looks like a, a pokerbankrollapp.com, the 22 top poker players you need to know. And I see Vanessa Selps, and I mentioned another another lady. Um, are women playing a lot too? And obviously there are women and men are all in the same tournament. There's not like a women's tournament and a men's tournament. Like there might be like in tennis or something. There are some ladies only events, if you will, that is a way to give them a place where they can compete if they're not comfortable competing in a mixed atmosphere. But for the most part, all tournaments are open to anybody. It has been a struggle in our industry to try to get more women into the game because in any given tournament, there might be five or 10% of the field are female competitors you know, there are some great female poker players out there. Vanessa Selps, uh, you mentioned. Maria Ho is another one. Like, there's, there are some very solid female players out there, without a doubt. But it is kind of a challenge for us of how do we make this industry more welcoming to women? How do we get them interested in playing in the game? And that's something, you know, we'll continue to work on. But it's, it's, it's challenging. It's because, you know, I, I, we don't know the exact reasons per se. You know, maybe it's, uh, they're just not, comfortable sitting down and the competitive aspect of it from an industry standpoint we just got to do what we can to get the game to them make them feel comfortable and and hope they enjoy playing looking at uh, annette oberstad here it says she's from norway she claims to have begun playing poker with no money instead she built up her initial bankroll via free roll tournaments what's a free roll tournament a lot of online poker websites will make uh, special bonuses or promotions where, hey, come play on our site and we'll give you a free $25, $50 to start playing with, right? Free money. And the hope is, you know, you end up playing, you enjoy it, you eventually deposit more and, and continue on your journey. But there are stories in our world, in the poker world, where people have taken advantage of that. They took that free $50 and they've never deposited any money. They just started winning building up their bankroll and, and have never looked back, which is, that's a, a dream come true. It's kind of to get off to a hot start and just keep building. It's, it's hard to do because a lot of poker players, it's more, more likely your journey is going to ebb and flow. You're going to go bust. You're going to win. You're going to lose. There's a handful of others where those stories do pop up. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. So if, if someone knew nothing about wrestling and said, hey, Chris, what are some of the craziest wrestling stories? I might talk about the Montreal screw job or, you know, maybe Jericho fighting Goldberg backstage or like, you know, whatever. Are there some some like all time legendary poker stories, either some of the games or some backstage incidents that happened or whatever it may be? I think the best poker stories are usually what are called prop bets. So poker players, a lot of them, you know, they like to gamble. They, they're degenerates, a lot of them. They're, they're willing to bet <laughs> on anything. And I've seen some crazy prop bets 
over the years, um, one of my colleagues, a poker, he was just work, walking around a poker tournament and a poker player said to him, you know, he was just wearing a button down striped shirt. He said, Hey, how much would I have to pay you to wear that shirt every day for a year? You, know, you can wash it, but you just, that's the shirt you got to wear every day for a year. And, you know, the guy thought for a minute, I think he said like 10,000 bucks and the poker player said, deal, you got it. That's a bet. <laughs> my friend, uh, my friend won that bet. He wore that shirt every day for a year. <laughs> there was another one recently where a poker player bet another poker player. Can't remember how much money that he could not eat a thousand dollars worth of McDonald's food in 24 hours. <laughs> okay. He was not able to do that. He couldn't even come close to it. So <laughs> th that, that one's crazy. How about rivalries? Like, are there some famous rivalries of guys that have had some of the greatest poker matches always against each other? Yeah, absolutely. There's definitely, so that's one of the things we like best about uh, poker is finding these rivalries and, you know, getting two people at the same table, maybe, or in the same game. Uh, Phil Helmuth has a lot of different rivalries because of his poker brat persona. He clashes with a lot of people and you get a lot of guys who have history. Maybe they don't like each other off the felt and that gets carried over into the game of poker. So Daniel Negreanu and a guy named Doug Polk had a very heated beef for many years where Doug Polk, he actually outside the Rio here in Vegas took out a billboard that overlooked the Rio, the World Series of Poker to call out Negreanu and taunt him. <laughs> and so that one was kind of funny. What uh, did the billboard say? It was just, I think Negreanu had uh, said on a, on a show, like, more rake is better, which rake in poker parlance is part of the pot that the house takes out for running the game, right? They, they got to rake the pot. Yeah, okay, gotcha. Which, so more rake is better is kind of an oxymoron for a poker player. It's It makes no sense, right? It, it's Of course, it's not better. Uh, and so I think he was just taunting him that, you know, he had said that. And uh, <laughs> yeah, they, they, there's a lot of, I don't know, It's they're kind of childish at times. But the, when there's money involved, ego, there's a lot of ego in the poker world. Sure. It boils over every now and then. Well, just imagine, like imagine you were making, like we said, $20 million, for example, from playing poker. That's your job. Of course, you're going to have a crazy ego because what a what a way to make a living, right? Yeah, it's true. And then the lifestyle that comes with it, you know, the fame, the fortune, the people who are who are around you. And there's also a lot of what's called the underbelly of the poker world is because there's so much money involved, there is going to be CD characters around. And sure. that's why it's so important in the poker industry to have a good reputation, to honor what you say, or if you, you know, if you have a debt to pay it, if you borrow money, that sort of stuff, just live up to your word. Because once you lose that in the poker world, you kind of uh, become persona non grata. Like nobody's going to want to work with you, do business with you. And uh, while you still play, if you have the money to play, you just wouldn't be a welcome presence. I was just reading about Tom Dwan and Victor Blom. They had a series of high stakes heads up contests and Tom lost $5 million to Victor Blom. <laughs> there was a time an online poker about 10 years, a little more than 10 years ago when the games were huge and every night they were winning or losing literally millions of dollars. Uh, we called it Railbird Heaven because we were all watching these online games take place and just watching this insane amount of money. Uh, and the two guys you just mentioned there, Victor Blom and, and Tom Dwan were, you know, the superstars of that age, young guys in their early twenties, playing for millions of dollars that they had won on online poker. It's, it's pretty insane. It would make for a great book or a great movie. Has there ever been like, you mentioned, I'm sure they have to be very careful, especially with Vegas and, and the rules of playing. And, and has there ever been a time when there was some kind of a, where a game was rigged? I'm sure not at the highest of levels, but th th that probably has happened at some point where somebody had a card up their sleeve or something like that. Yeah, it actually happens, unfortunately, more often than you would think. Yeah. That's why I always encourage people to play in safe, regulated environments, right? So it's less likely to happen at a casino uh, where there is security, where there's license and gaming regulations, as opposed to a home game where maybe it's a little more risky. Likewise, playing online, you want to play on a, a site that's regulated and licensed by some sort of entity, whether it's the state or a gaming commission, as opposed to what we call an offshore site that is operating kind of in the, the gray zone or the Wild West, because it was back in 2006-ish, give or take, where a huge online poker cheating scandal happened, where one of the founders had software that allowed him to see the whole cards of his opponents. And he proceeded to hmm. steal, cheat his way to millions of dollars. And it was, 
you know, a huge black eye for our industry and continues to be. Uh, and that's why for those of us who work in the industry and, and make our living and love and respect the game, you know, we work hard to make sure that sort of that sort of stuff doesn't happen. But like I said, when you're talking about the amounts of money that we are in any industry, any world, if there's money to be had, there's going to be people there who are going to try to get it by unscrupulous means. So last few things for you, uh, Chad, you keep talking a few times about online poker. I didn't realize online poker was as big as it is. So is online poker just as prestigious as playing live poker, you know, at a World Series of a poker tournament in Vegas, you know, at a casino or something like that? I think poker players generally give a little more prestige to playing live because there's a little more skill. No, I don't say skill per se. There's There's skills to each game. But in the live realm, you actually have to look at your opponent face to face as opposed to just looking at a avatar on the screen, right? Right, 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 right. That whole aspect, I think, gets a little more credit than online. But online is a tough game in its own right. And uh, just real quick for listeners, the state of online poker is very iffy right now because it used to be all over the country. And then in 2011, an event happened in the poker industry called Black Friday, where the U.S. government basically came in and shut down online poker operations. Hmm. And since then, it's had to be reintroduced in the United States on a state-by-state basis. And right now, there's only five states out of the 50 that are offering licensed and regulated online poker, uh, that being Nevada, Pennsylvania, Michigan, New Jersey, and Delaware. Uh, Some of these states have linked up to form interstate compacts, so like a Powerball, right, where you can combine your player pools and so there's larger numbers. But it's still nowhere near as big as it was, you know, 15 years ago. But it's it's slowly growing, and you know that's uh, that's kind of the difference when I say a, a legalized market or a gray market, because there are online poker options for people who don't live in one of those states, but it's not governed by a, a trusted entity, if you will. So. And why did the government decide to shut down online poker? <sighs> money, uh, you know, it always boils down to money. I think uh, they wanted their fair share at the time. And the operators back in those days were offshore. They were based in Europe or based elsewhere. They just uh, were skirting some laws, operating in a gray area. And the government eventually came in and said, yeah, we're not going to allow this anymore and and shut it all down. It was an earth-shattering moment for the poker industry. Uh, Very tumultuous, but here we are. We're removed 13 years uh, or 12 years. And, you know, the, the industry has healed from it, if you will. And right now, poker is experienced kind of a revival. The numbers at live events and poker tournaments at the World Series of Poker are great. I think last year's World Series main event was the second largest ever in its 52, 53-year history. Come this summer, when the next one happens, it's on all likelihood going to be the biggest poker tournament main event in, in poker history. So. Last couple of things. If someone wants to get into poker, what are your kind of tips for a beginner that might want to start playing poker? Yeah, so I work at a a website called PokerNews.com, and we have a lot of content that is geared towards beginners, right? So articles and videos that teach you how to play the game, here are the rules, and here are the steps that you should go through to become a better poker player. So I think that's a sort of great resource. Poker books, that's how I learned back in the day. I bought a book and and read about it and took it from there. Uh, There really is no better time that I can recall right now in the poker world for people to get into the game and have so much at their fingertips to help them learn and grow. So players in the 60s, 70s, 80s, they didn't have these resources. They had to learn through experience. And now you can, it's all there for you at your fingertips. So anybody who wants to play, I I encourage them to do that. And uh, watching poker on TV is also a good way because then you can see how the game flows, how it works, the dynamics in action. So I think those are the best ways. But as as a bracelet winning poker champion, what, what if you could give one bit of advice? What's the what's one one tip that you would give somebody? I'd say when you actually sit down to play poker, play less hands. Poker players when they're starting out have this tendency they want to be in action, they want to play every hand, and that's a surefire way to eventually lose money. So I say play less hands, be more patient be more selective, kind of think of it as the stock market, right? In a a hand of poker, a game of poker, just think, when's the right time for me to invest my money where I'm going to get a return on it and finding those spots. And and to do that, though, 
you need to play less hands. So, Last question for you. Who's the greatest poker player of all time? This is like asking who's the greatest wrestler of all time is. I'm of sure course, yeah, yeah. Many different answers. I am going to say Phil Ivey. He's been called the Tiger Woods of poker or the Michael Jordan of poker. He has played the highest stakes in the world. He has won 10 World Series of poker bracelets. He continues to crush and... Phil Hellmuth is great. Doyle's great. A guy named uh, the late great Stu Unger is great, but Phil, it's hard to beat Phil Ivey. Well, dude, it was uh, amazing talking to you. Uh, a lot of fun. And uh, I'm going to actually give it a try. Next time I'm going to go in and uh, not play a lot of hands, take your advice and see if I can win uh, win some big bucks. Well, I know that uh, a particular <laughs> pay-per-view event takes place in Vegas at, during the summer, oh, yeah. right when the World Series of Poker is uh, taking place across the street. So oh, cool. if, if you're in town and you want a you know, behind-the-scenes VIP tour, just uh, let us know. Poker News would be happy to give it to you. Let's do that, man. I, I would love to, to see that. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, Chad. That was a blast, dude. Yeah, that was uh, that was fun. 